We rearranged the stage last week and I moved my mat and the mat allows me to preach twice as long as usual. So I want to make sure that stays where it's at. All right. No foot pain. I feel nice up here. All right. Uh, we are in the book of Luke today and it is our Christmas service. Welcome. We're glad you're here today. So if you would go ahead and turn to Luke chapter one, we'll begin in verse 26 and we'll go through 35. We'll be in Romans some today, Philippians some, but our primary text will be uh, the book of Luke today. And it is Christmas Eve, the day before Christmas, and it is the, the Christian tradition to emphasize the incarnation of Christ on this day. It is not uh, a legalistic have to do, so by I, we could have taught on anything, right? Uh, but it is kind of the Christian t- tradition to, to speak on, to focus on such things as the virgin birth, the, the angel's announcement, uh, the incarnation of Christ and him being God and man and these types of things. Uh, so even though we don't have a, a scriptural mandate to do so today, even though we don't see this happening in the early church, it has become the norm. And as far as we're concerned, it's always a good time to speak on the incarnation of Christ. So we'll do that today, and uh, we'll celebrate that and focus on these truths today. So let's look at Luke chapter 1. I'll read through verse uh, 35, beginning in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful opportunity to gather together with believers and to focus on these truths that our world denies. Uh, We we acknowledge that these are truths. These things are real. These events really did happen. And that Jesus is indeed God and man, born of a virgin, conceived by the Holy Spirit. And we thank you for the good news that has been brought to them, to Mary, to Joseph, to the shepherds, as we'll look at today. And to us as well, the completion of this good news, where we now see the whole wonderful story. And it's through the birth, through the life, through the death, his resurrection, that we are saved. And this is good news. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if we consider the beginning parts here of the story, obviously we acknowledge that Joseph and Mary are betrothed. They're not married yet. It is more serious, though, as many of you know, than an engagement. But it is so serious that they would, she would be considered divorced if they did not go through with the marriage. Uh, we have the announcement here from the angel. And uh, a lot of times we read these texts and think that this is kind of quite common for an angelic visit in the biblical times. But that's not the case at all. And if you really think back through the entire Bible, entire Old Testament, you're really just left with a handful of angelic appearances. Uh, There are very, very few angelic appearances 
in the Bible. Uh, they're extremely rare, and if you consider the, for the time between the Old Testament and the New Testament, it even adds rarity upon rarity because there's no uh, angelic visit. There is no pr direct revelation given from God between Malachi, between the Old Testament, the last prophets, and the New Testament. So over 400 years has gone by. There's been no direct angelic visit, like you might think of like Daniel, right, uh, the, with the angel coming to visit him. Nothing like that. No direct prophetic voice, direct revelation from God. And then the silence is broken. But the silence is not broken with Mary. Who is the silence broken with? Anyone remember? Yeah, yeah, yes, yes, yes. So the, the Old Testament prophecies were that the, the herald had to come before the Messiah. So the silence is broken. Gabriel breaks the silence, but he speaks not to Mary and not to Joseph, but to Zechariah, who would be John the Baptist's dad. And he says, your child is going to be the one who is going to announce the Messiah. So the New Testament era, you might say, opens up not with the announcement to Mary, but actually opens up with the announcement to Zechariah, right? The, the herald that is to come. Now, the, the prophetic snowball of the Old Testament, you might say, is continu was continually adding. God was adding to this snowball of prophecy, of types, of descriptions of what the Messiah was to be like, where he would be born, how he would even die, right? And all these markers so that they would know that this is the Messiah. This is the one that was to bring salvation. This one is the Christ. So you go all the way back to Genesis 3.15, and we find out then uh, that the one who is going to defeat Satan is going to be the offspring of a woman. All right, so we know that. And from that, it just continues to develop, to develop, to develop over all these years. God's adding special revelation. Prophets are speaking about it. He's adding types, as even we've looked at in the book of John, the feast that he puts in place in the Old Testament where the Israelites mandatorily had to go to, how they pointed to Christ. All these things are pointing, and then all of a sudden, we get now to this time of year, and we look at how it all drops, and this is it. You might say the snowball has reached its max, and there it is. It hits the bottom. All these prophecies are going to be coming true right now with the birth of Christ. Galatians 4, 4 through 5 puts it really well, where Paul says this. I have a few of these verses on the screen today, but feel free to look them up with me. Galatians 4, 4 through 5, Paul says, But when the fullness of time had come, uh, that, that fullness, all the prophecies, everything coming together just as God said it would, so when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. So in this Galatians 4, 4, 5, you have, you might say, a lot of the Christmas story there. But he, Paul pulls from all the way back in Genesis, the fullness of time had come. The one prophesied that would be born of a woman has now come. Why did he come? To redeem, to purchase back so that we would be his sons now. It's beautiful news that is here, even in Galatians 4 and 4 and 5, and very, you might say, Christmas-themed, all right? So the fullness of time had come. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as son, son. Now, this is the 
The Christmas story is good news. It is part of the good news. It is vital to the gospel, right? That this one is going to be uh, God sent forth his son, the one that is going to be God, who is also born of a woman, who will be the God-man. He is the only one that can redeem us, purchase us back. Let's continue on there in, um, in Luke. And look at verse 31. We'll skip on down to verse 31 after paraphrasing the verses before it. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Now, here is the announcement, right? The angel uh, makes this great announcement to Mary and literally tells her what the name of the child is going to be. This happens also in a similar way with with Zechariah. He is to name the child a specific name. Uh, Here also, uh, the angel tells Mary that she is to name him Jesus. And why is that? Why not? Another name, Thomas, Paul, Saul, whatever, Bob, Bill, or whatever. Uh, Jesus, there's lots of meaning to that. And you find that often with the Hebrew names. It means God saves. And he is supposed to be named Jesus. He is supposed to be the the one named Jesus because he is God saves. Even his name is the good news. Uh, Matthew 121 says, She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. For his, he will save his people from their sins. And this is huge. This is tremendous. And this is something we should think on at Christmas time. That, that we needed to be saved. All people needed to be saved. What do we need to be saved from? Uh, ultimately, we need to be saved from God. Right? This is the one that we need to be saved from. To some lesser degree, you can list out other things that you need to be saved from. But ultimately and supremely, we need to be saved from God. Why do we need to be saved from God? Because we have all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. God is perfectly just. God is perfectly righteous. God is perfectly holy. All people will be judged by this one who is holy, righteous, just and all knowing we find out as we get to the book of revelation that all people's book uh, uh, records everything they've done is perfectly recorded by god and they will face the judgment for it unless your name is written in the lamb's book of life in that case as we find out we get his record we get his righteousness we get his holiness put upon us through faith in him so this good news, what we need to be saved from, Matthew one twenty one, states it clearly, for he will save people from their sins. This is what we need to be saved from, the wrath and the fury of God, the judgment of God for our sins. Romans 2.5, Paul says it like this. He says, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, You are storing up wrath for yourself on a day of wrath, the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. And we've looked at this passage a lot. I use it a lot. It's great to witness uh, to others about uh, as as well and use this. But the picture here is, is you're storing it up. It's never being lost. God has perfect memory. He does not get forgetful. He does not forget the sins of the old. But every sin you've ever committed has been stored up by God. And what does it receive? Nothing good. It's on the day of judgment, your, all your sins will be placed before God. You as a sinner will be placed before God. 
And what is the result? Wrath and fury on that day, the day of wrath, when God's perfect righteous judgment will be revealed. So is it a big deal that in Matthew 1.21, we have the announcement, you will call his name Jesus, for he will save people from their sins. Yes, this is huge. This is tremendous good news because we've all sinned. We all die. We all deserve the wrath of God. But we have God, the one we need to be saved from, providing the Savior for us, and this is good news. He will save us from our sins. Now, how can sinners be saved from the wrath of God? Uh, we know this, but oftentimes we need to be reminded of it. Is there a way that we can try harder and rely on ourselves? Can we do better? Can we be a kinder person? Can we say better things and talk better to other people? And, and at this time of year, you often find people trying to clean their lives up a bit for a few days. It's an odd thing. You know, they're, they're more they're trying to be more cheerful, more kind, etc. Because they're, they're almost reminded of the reality of what all this means sometimes. Because there is talk of Jesus. There is talk of the virgin birth. There is talk of the incarnation of God in the flesh. And it, it kind of has a almost a cleansing effect sometimes on the, on the culture, and it's almost trying to get yourself better for that kind of thing. But you can't do that. It's not up to us to make our lives better to save ourselves. If that were the case, we certainly would not need a Savior. If we could save ourselves, then we would not need God to send a Savior. But yet modern uh, the modern world basically says there is no Savior needed. There is no Savior required. The only problem is they rely on works, what they can do to achieve their own righteousness. And that's what we find over and over through the Old Testament all the way to the end. The New Testament is that we are unrighteous. We are sinners. We cannot do anything to earn the forgiveness of one single sin. There is nothing we can do. We are completely powerless. What do we need? We need the righteousness of another. We need someone outside of ourselves to save us. Others had tried such a thing, uh, even great leaders of the past, right? You have, you have it from Adam to Abraham to Moses to, to Noah, these men who did great things, but they all sinned against God. But now we have the righteous one who is to be born of the Virgin Mary. Now, what can we do to save ourselves? Again, we cannot do anything. And this is why we realize this is good news. This is tremendous news that we celebrate this time of year. Uh, the Apostle Paul thought much of himself before salvation. Uh, turn with me to this one, Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 through 9. Philippians 3, verse 7 through 9. Paul is a great example of the Israelite of Israelites, the Jew of Jews, the Pharisee of Pharisees, who abided by all the rules and tried to achieve righteousness on his own. And then Christ shined the light on his work, and he was immediately realizing how much dark he was in. But here he, he, he summarizes this in just a few passages. We'll read verse 7 through 9. Paul says, But whatever gain I had, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. 
For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Now, this is beautifully stated here, but you have a man who was relying on his, his put quotations around that, righteous deeds to make himself right before God. And he was storing them up, adding them up to put place before God and expect to be entering into heaven because of all the good things that he had done. But then when he is truly saved, he sees the holiness of Christ, he sees his sinfulness for what it is, he counts all those glorious righteous deeds, his works-based salvation, as absolute trash, absolute rubbish, meaning absolute beyond worthless, all right, were all those good things that he had done before his salvation. So this is extremely important to recognize the good news that was delivered to Mary, uh, that, that this is the Christ, this is the Savior, the one that will save us from our sins. Now, the question here, as you look at this passage and you look at the story today, is do you see your contributions to salvation or towards salvation as rubbish? This is an important question to ask because this is, this is what you must see. If you think that you're adding up enough or contributing to uh, Christ's righteousness, then this is not salvation. You need to realize that you need to be saved. If you think that you're working yourself there, storing up these good things, you need to see the holiness of God. You need to see the righteous demand that he gives us. You need to see your sinfulness for what it is. And you need to see the supposed good works as total rubbish. A person must see their absolute inability to save themselves in order to see the need for a Savior. And it's only when you see your works as trash that you see the need for the riches of the Savior. Merry Christmas. <laughs> All right. So uh, if we think of other passages like this, it's not just a, a localized problem or not just a problem that Paul had or that sin is only something that a few people of humanity experience. I turn over to Romans chapter 5, verse 17 through 19. In Romans 5, there's much, much talk on this, but on verse 17 through 19, we'll key in that this is a common throughout all humanity, that Adam represented us, he sinned, he represented all humanity, and all humanity is counted as sinners before God. Romans 5, 17 through 19, and we find that we have a, a problem. We need a new representative, and there's never been a perfect righteous one to represent us. All the representatives of the past have failed, and uh, the ultimate representative being Adam, he failed, and he sinned, and we all sin now in Adam. Look at verse 17. For if because of one man's trespass, speaking of Adam, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. As For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, 
So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. So our natural state before God is a position of condemnation because of Adam. He sinned. In Adam, all sinned. He represented us. That's the bad news. But the good news is that there is a new representative. Uh, so that one man's act of righteousness, Jesus Christ, uh, leads to our justification, being made right before God. Look at the end there in verse 19. So by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. This is beautiful. This is the great news. And this is what is happening there at the introduction, at the beginning of the New Testament. The good news that is announced. Adam, in Adam all have sinned. But now the new representative has come. And it's through his righteousness that we will be justified. Not in and of ourselves, what we do, but by faith in Christ. Beautiful good news that is there. We need to be saved from the wrath of God. How can we be saved from the wrath of God? How can we be saved from the sins that deserve the wrath of God? Nothing in us. Everything is trash. What do we need? The righteousness of another. Through faith in Christ, we are saved by grace. It is a free gift of God, not that we contribute to that. All right? Look over at Romans chapter 5, verse 8 and 9, or just look a little bit earlier than where we're at. Romans 5, verse 8 and 9. I'm just going to do a little bit of that passage there. I believe I have it on the screen for you. Just the port, this, this portion I want to focus on. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? So all this is coming to, Paul is of course explaining this out years later, adding commentary to all that has happened. But this is for us to look at today and, go, and understand the one that is being announced to Mary that you will have a child. He will be conceived of the Holy Spirit. He'd name him Jesus. God saves. He will save people from their sins. How is this going to happen? We fast forward. We know the rest of the story. We know the rest of the New Testament. And that God shows his love that while we were sinners, he sent Christ. Why did he send Christ? To die for us. To not just be born, but to live the righteous life, his obedience we get, but also to die in our place. So that he receives the wrath of God for us, so we do not receive the wrath of God. The last part, part there says, since then, since therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from the wrath of God? This is good news. And all this is happening right here at the time that we kind of celebrate uh, Christmas time, all right? Go back to the book of Luke and look at chapter 1. Look at verse 32 through 33. Uh, verse 32 and 33. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. In his kingdom there will be no end. Now in this announcement, uh, we've been covering the book of John. So uh, this is common throughout the book of John. right? But we constantly get in the book of John... But that Jesus is, is man, yes, but he, he is also God. Two natures, one person. Uh, but you get this not just in the book of John. Oftentimes we, we'd say, oh, this is, it is in the book of John. It's heavily in the book of John. You get the I am statements there in the book of John as well. But also even at his birth announcement. You look back over this, the angel is announcing 
that he is going to be God. He's going to be man. Look at verse 32. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. This is God, the son. And the Lord will be Lord will give to him the throne of his father, David. Now, David is not deity. He is human. And here we have the son of the most high and yet son of David. You have God, you have man. And this is God, the son incarnate, but not just any flesh. It was going to be through the line of David. So you have both natures here, God and man, presented in this announcement. Also in verse 33, again, these prophecies, prophecies, prophecies just keep coming to pass. But you have the fulfillment of 2 Samuel chapter 7. This is one we looked at a couple of months ago. Feel free to look at this prophecy again, though. Many of you are familiar with it. 2 Samuel 7, verse 12 through 13 I'm going to do verses 16 and 17 just to kind of compress this for our service today. But you have this great prophecy that comes from Nathan the prophet to David. So that from this day forward, they look towards a Christ, a Messiah that is going to come, who is going to reign, who is going to be king, but he can't just be from any human. He has to be from the lineage of David. So, 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 13. Here's the prophecy, verse 12. To David, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Uh, skip to verse 16. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever in accordance with all these words, in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. So from this prophecy, we realize that there is going to be one that has to come from the line of David, who is going to reign as a king, who is going to be king forever. Now, this is all coming to happen here in this announcement uh, with Mary. The angel is saying, you are going to have a son. He is going to be great. He's going to be called the son of the most high. But also, uh, God is going to give him the throne of his father, David. So here the angel announces, this is it. The, the prophecy that y'all have been looking forward to for so long is now coming to pass. And it's going to happen within your womb, Mary. You are the one representing the line of David that the Messiah is going to come through. Now, what kind of king has no end from this prophecy and from the announcement of the angel? Well, obviously, we know every human king, their kingdom has come to an end. No one can reign forever, and many should retire uh, before they're kicked out, right? It's like you cannot just keep reigning. We're limited as humans. Our minds fade, our bodies fade. Uh, life comes to an end. So what is being announced here is one that reigns forever. His kingdom will never end. All this is pointing to that this one that, that, that Nathan is talking about, announcing to David, is someone far greater than only his physical son, like Solomon. And then we find out here in the New Testament that this one that can reign forever is God in the flesh. Now it's interesting, uh, he has announced that he is going to be king. Uh, was there ever a time when God, the Son, has not reigned supreme? And the answer would be no, right? God has always reigned supreme. 
uh, God the Son, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit always have been uh, sovereign over all things. What is the, the change here, though, is the incarnation. God the Son having flesh in the line of David, now reigning supreme. As you get to the book of Daniel, the prophecy there in Daniel 7, you had, uh, Daniel says there was one like the Son of Man coming before the Ancient of Days, and to him was given all dominion, all authority, and power. Uh, what's happening there? God the Son has always had all dominion, all authority, and all power. But now there's one like a son of man. Jesus takes on, God the Son takes on flesh from the line of David. He maintains that. He keeps that. He ascends into heaven with the flesh from the line of David. And now he reigns supreme as the eternal king, eternal kingdom that he has. Now, we, as, as his followers, don't see all of this right now. And we get a glimpse of that. Look over at Hebrews chapter 2, verse 8. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 8. I know I've skipped, I haven't referenced Hebrews in a while. You guys should be proud of me. It's kind of a magnet after going through it for around two years. But uh, I, I gave it, it's at least been a couple of months. All right, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 8. You again have a prophecy where... Uh, the author of Hebrews is, is talking about uh, this one, David, uh, the line of David, who Jesus has now uh, been exalted, is reigning supreme. I'm just going to read verse 8. I know it's kind of, there's more before it I could read, but just verse 8. Uh, the prophecy, putting everything in subjection under his feet. They're speaking of Jesus, the king, the eternal king. Uh, now putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. At present, we do not see everything in subjection to him. So here the author of Hebrews is letting us know that the one born of a baby, born of, born of Mary, sorry, the baby born of Mary, who has lived, who has died, who was, a, who was completely humiliated on the cross, who was beaten, who, was, who died, has risen from the dead, ascended into heaven uh, with his flesh, who now reigns supreme, has everything sub subject to him. What is the difference? Now you have God, the God-man, reigning in heaven. Now, this verse also lets us know, even though all things are subject to him, God left nothing out of his control. The end part says, at present. So the Hebrew, this, is, this is written, of course, much after Jesus has already lived, died, risen from the dead. Uh, the Hebrews, the, the people he's writing to had gone through great turmoil, great persecution as well. But he says at present, we do not see everything in subjection to him. And this is what we look forward to. The Christ has come. The Christ has accomplished salvation. He does reign supreme, even though we do not see the fulfillment totally of this. Will we one day? Absolutely. The Bible says every knee will bow. Every tongue confess. Not one person will be left out of that, of acknowledging that Jesus is Lord. We get to the end of the book of Revelation. We see the new heaven, the new earth. God has, has judged, and there's ultimate placement, and now the righteous live with God. The dwelling place of man is with God. And we see finally, what we don't see yet right now, all things subject to him fully, exhaustively, completely and finalized. So this is what the author of Hebrews is talking about. So yes, Jesus is king. 
Yes, he has been raised with the flesh, with the of David. He is that son who is the kingdom will never come to an end. That is forever. Does it get better than what we have right now? Absolutely. Absolutely. Look at verse 34. Let's go back to the book of Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Verse 34. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And here we have one of the most contested uh, passages in the Bible that one who is a virgin will have a child. And this, this is, of course, beyond anything that we can comprehend. And a lot of people ask, how can such a thing happen? And the point of it is, is we, we cannot comprehend this. It is supernatural. It is beyond our mental capacity to even handle. But look at verse 35 again. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. It's fascinating that this passage, we have similar talk to at the very beginning of the Bible in the book of Genesis. I have this up for you today, but verse 2 of the book of Genesis, when God creates, uh, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And these two passages, uh, the, the Genesis narrative of God creating, like how does he create something from nothing? How can just in the beginning God, and then everything is created? The how God does that is beyond us. But also we see that the similar wording of the Holy Spirit there uh, with Mary at the conception of Christ. And we think, how can such a thing be? And there is great mystery there. These things are beyond us. God's ways are beyond our ways. But what we do know, and some people will say, well, this just doesn't happen. That's the whole point, right? Uh, that's right. It does not happen. It never happened before. It's never going to happen again. There is only one God, the Son, who puts on flesh in the line of David and becomes the God-man, the one and only Savior. God never announced there would be lots of saviors. Pick anyone you choose or anyone that you think is one, and that'll be okay. He was going to send one, and this is the one. And we see all these prophecies coming to pass in the supernatural conception of Jesus in the womb of Mary. Uh, fast forward a little bit over to Luke chapter 2. Look at Luke chapter 2. Look at verse 8, and we'll probably, we'll probably, uh, look at, we'll read through 10, 8 through 10. Oh, fast forward a little bit to the birth of Jesus. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that their joy that will be for all the people. So here we have the great announcement come uh, to the shepherds. Uh, it's interesting. Shepherds were tough, macho, uh, manly dudes who, as, as we looked at a few weeks ago, David fought off, right? Wild animals coming to attack the sheep. Very tough. But yet the angels appear. And what do they do right away? What do they feel? It's fear, right? They're trembling. Fear comes on them. In typical fashion, uh, the angels appear. We find this in the Old Testament too. Uh, they appear, 
the humans fear, and then the angels say, no, it's okay, and then they give the message from God, and that's what happens here. So what is the message? Look at verse, verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And there's a lot of truth in this passage. It's really awesome. You have, you have the, the angels announce the, the, the baby is going to be born. Uh, is, is four, four, three titles, you might say. Um, but he is Christ. He is Savior. He is Lord. And there's one in there that's not quite a title, but yet it is a truth that he is born this day, that he is human. So you have so much truth in this verse 11 being announced from the angels that in this day, on this day, the one who is Savior, the one who is Christ, the one who is Lord and also human is being born. And not just anywhere, uh, but where is he being born? The city of David. And you see all these things, all these truths coming to happen that the one who is going to have the eternal kingdom is from the line of David. Where is he going to be born at? He's going to be born in the city of David as well. Look at verse 12 and 13. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So the sign that is given to the shepherds, this one, I mean, think of this, who is Savior, who is Christ, who is uh, the Lord, uh, is from the line of David. Where is he going to be born? Not in, a, not in a castle, not in a place of majestic prowess with servants all around, not even connected to the temple. But where is he going to be born? He's going to be born in Bethlehem, a small, tiny little place, fulfilling a prophecy as well. But the sign that they are given which baby is it going to be? He's going to be the one in a manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes. This is unusual even for that day, to place a baby in a feed trough for animals. This is how you know you have found the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior from your sins. This is how you'll know that you found him. And what is the great announcement here in verse 14? As, as the, and this is always amazing in my mind, that you have the announcement, and then suddenly... There was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host. It's like, how this happens? Again, we don't know, but it's like you have, you have one angel. And then it's like this, this cracked open where they get to see uh, the great multitude of angels. Uh, the great multitude here is meaning innumerable. You couldn't count that many. And you see similar wording uh, in elsewhere in the in Old Testament prophecies where there are countless numbers of angels, myriads of angels. And so you just picture this, uh, a lot of artwork pictures like 10 or 15. Uh, I picture like, uh, like I don't know, <laughs> like, like where the number you can't see the end, right? And they're all, it's like all of heaven is announcing this and saying this, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is tremendous news. Again, remember the problem humanity faces. All have sinned. Adam sinned. He represented us. We have all sinned in Adam. We also actively sin. We can't get rid of our own sin. Uh, we deserve the wrath and curse of God. But yet, the one who is born from the line of David, born in the city of David, who is Lord, who is Christ, is Savior. And what is he going to do? He is going to 
make us pleasable to God. Uh, peace on earth among those whom he is pleased. We automatically deserve the wrath of God, but what you're saying is that he can be pleased with us, and that's right, through the Savior, through the one who will take our sins away. So Jesus brings peace, reconciliation, and by dying for our sins and giving us his record of righteousness, we are at peace with God. Romans 5.10 says this, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. It's just a beautiful reminder that the one who is to save us, to reconcile us, to fix that relationship, God is not pleased with us. We are sinners. We need to be reconciled. How can we be reconciled? What can we give to God to reconcile, to fix the relationship? We give nothing. That's what Paul says. Everything I've done is trash. What do we need? We need a Savior, and this is him, the one who lives and dies for our salvation. We're saved by grace through faith, not in ourselves, but in him. Look at verse 16 there in Luke chapter 2. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Verse 17. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at the shepherds told, uh, wondered what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. So this, this is no small matter. This is a huge, huge thing that is happening here. You have heaven burst open to make this announcement. But it's always interesting, too. You have the, the glory of God shining through, the great announcement of the myriad of angels down to not kings, not to the ones that are running the temple, but to shepherds, right? And the, the shepherds go, and they do, and they obey God. And you see a lot, you see a lot of good things there where they, they hear, they fear at first, but they obey and they do exactly what they're supposed to do. And their reaction is what, it, they're, it's, what it's supposed to do. Uh, what should our response be to these events? If you look at Mary's response and you look at the shepherd's response, I think all these should be incorporated in to our response as well. Look at verse 19. Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. So she treasured up all these, what are the things, right? It is the events like we're going over today, but it's also the truths of those events, and she pondered them. She thought on them. She dwelt on them. So she treasured them up. She pondered on them. Look at what the shepherds did. <clears throat> Verse 20, they returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. This is a great combination for us. You have two wonderful responses. They glorified and praised God for all they had seen and all they had heard. You have Mary storing, treasuring, and pondering on these things. So today, let us treasure these things and ponder them, glorifying God and praising his name for sending the one who would save us from our sins. The long-awaited Savior has come. We know not just the birth story now, but more than what the shepherds knew, more than what even Mary knew, we have the whole story before us. So as much as they stored up, pondered, treasured, glorified, and praised, 
How much more should we do these things, knowing the full story that, yes, God has sent his son, born of a virgin, conceived by the Holy Spirit, who is Lord, who is Christ, who is from the line of David, who is the Savior, the one that will save us from our sins. How? By living the righteous life, by living obediently to God, by dying on the cross for our sins. He makes peace for all who have faith in him. We are reconciled. We are redeemed. We are justified. We're made righteous through the one who would save us from our sins. So as we celebrate Christmas, whatever various traditions you may have with your friends, with your family, uh, with, with different, different things that you do at your home, etc., let us not forget this. As Paul says in 1 Timothy 1.15, Christ came into the world to save sinners. And you can personalize that, uh, not adding to Scripture, but just adding to the application of which I am one of. If you want to be like Paul, you can say you're the worst, all right? But we are those who needed to be saved. And Jesus has come to save us from our sins. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your Son to make peace, to justify us, to atone for our sins, to redeem us, to reconcile us. We thank you that when we could not do anything to earn forgiveness of one single sin, that you have sent the one, the new Adam, to represent us perfectly before you. And we thank you for that. We thank you for the great announcement that came to Mary. We thank you for the announcement that came to the shepherds. Help us to think on these things as Mary did, to treasure them up, to hold them dearly in our hearts and in our minds, to ponder them, to think on this, this virgin birth, to think on this one who is God the Son, yet from the line of David, who reigns supreme, and that, that we are in that. We have been adopted by sons, by him as sons. And we look forward to the great day when we will see all of the majesty of Jesus, the Christ, the Savior, the Lord, and that we will all bow down and worship him and confess that indeed Jesus is Lord. God, we thank you for the salvation that has come and help us at this time of year to enjoy some Christmas traditions and enjoy some family and friends and food, etc. But help us to always keep in our mind to treasure these things, to ponder these things that Christ Jesus has come into the world to save sinners of which am I. And Jesus.